a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast. Every week we choose something to discuss, something that is meaty, that is unfolding somewhere in the world, something of intrigue, and we break it down for you. Not me, this gentleman, Dr. Keith Souter, renowned commentator on global issues uh, around Australia and has been for decades. My name's Kate Mack. Keith, let's get into this because it's made headlines for a long time now. Well, you know, a short period of time really, but a long time in media days. AUKUS, A-U-K-U-S. It turns out we've struck a deal with two world powers without anyone knowing and upset the French and the Chinese and God knows who else. It's been a really remarkable uh, week or so, yes. So um, we got an inkling at Channel 7 that something was in the breeze late on the night before and there was simply an advisory sent out saying there will be a big defence announcement. Um, And so we were expecting something big to happen the following morning and then suddenly we get this trilateral uh, media conference live you got uh, Scott Morrison from Australia, uh, Boris Johnson from uh, the United Kingdom, and President Biden from the United States live, a simultaneous broadcast to all three countries announcing this new defence treaty. Actually, we've lived through one of the most momentous weeks in Australian foreign policy history, certainly what we've seen of this century and almost for the last century, I think, in terms of this an amazing change that has taken place. So it's interesting. The word China did not figure in any of the statements, and yet China was clearly the elephant in those three rooms around the world. And so really what we're seeing, I think, are the preliminary stages of clearing the decks, getting ready for action perhaps against China. Because there, the China is, is the common threat. It's not the old Soviet Union. That disappeared in 1991. Russia is a problem, but it's not the same threat that it was before. So we're heading into a new Cold War, though I've noticed uh, this week the UN Secretary General has said that we need to avoid a new Cold War. I entirely agree with what the Secretary General has said. So what has happened is that the immediate issue is that Australia has cancelled a contract which it had with France to build nuclear submarines. And that's what we've tended to focus on in this country and also the French, whose nose are very very much out of joint. But, of course, that submarine project is over budget and it's running over time. So the French sort of suspected that something would go wrong with a project that's being so mishandled. That's the immediate issue. But the bigger policy issue is that For years, we've had politicians who said we do not need to choose between the United States and China. So the United States is Australia's major military ally. China is our major trading partner. We don't need to choose. We can remain on good terms. Last Thursday, we said explicitly we're working with the United States. We have chosen to go with one rather than the other. It's not an even-handed approach. And so that's why China is offended, even though China's not mentioned in the statement. China clearly recognises that this new agreement is directed towards China. Uh, So it's quite interesting to look at how all three countries, no doubt, would say that, well, there's an immediate political payoff for them. So in the case of Australia, it has now made the choice of reaffirming 
its old relationship with the United States rather than going any deeper into any sort of relationship with uh, China. And, of course, they would say we, need, we do need new submarines. The French are unreliable. Therefore, we're going for the British and Americans who are working on the submarines. So that's the Australian immediate payoff. From the United Kingdom point of view, the UK's problem is that it's left the European Union and is having to devise an independent foreign policy. It's not had that problem since 1973. So when it joined what was then the common market, in a sense, a lot of foreign policy decisions were being made with uh, British allies like France and Germany and Italy, etc. Now, Britain is having to come up with a new role for itself in the world. The slogan that it's used is Global Britain, uh, but Global Britain is a slogan. It's not a strategy. And here in this agreement from last week, we see an inkling of a British strategy now for what constitutes Global Britain. Global Britain means that Britain will re-engage east of Suez, to use the old phrase. When I was in the war office, we were always talking about east of Suez. So that's the Middle East, it's, and it's the Far East, etc., which we pulled out of during the 60s and 70s because we just couldn't afford to maintain a military presence. And now uh, Boris Johnson has said we're going back into Asia and we're going back into the Pacific region. So we've got, now got this new geographic entity called the Asia-Pacific, Asia-Pac. And so the British have said, well, global Britain means that we will have military obligations in Asia and the Pacific. And I'm assuming, Keith, as well, that up until now, the Brits have not had the capacity to really think about it. They had Brexit overseeing, you know, their, their that, that was sort of clouding their judgment on the rest of the world for a number and taking up all their oxygen, yep. you know, in terms of oh, parliament absolutely. for years. And now they've had COVID, which has ravaged that country. That's right. So this is the first time it feels like they've had that time to really strategize their next moves. And they think they're over the COVID crisis mainly. They've got the vaccine rollout going ahead, doing better at it than we are in Australia. And so in a sense, they're saying, well, look, we've got rid of the two immediate crises, which you've identified, which is Brexit and COVID. And now we, we can look look at, at new issues. And so this treaty fits in very neatly into that new agenda setting which the British are, are carrying out. And then thirdly, for the United States, almost as soon as uh, the Biden administration is noting the pullout from Afghanistan, the end of America's longest war, which was in Afghanistan, 20 years, Biden is able to say, well, we're pulling out of this war on terror. We've run it for 20 years. We've got very little to show for it. We've cost us a lot of blood and treasure. And if anything, the Islamic threat is even worse today because we've, we've now got Muslim groups killing people in West Africa like Boko Haram. We've now got for the first time Islamic groups running down the east coast of Africa, including going as far south as Mozambique, which is a traditional Christian country. So, in fact, if anything, the cancer of extremist Islam is actually spreading across the world. And, of course, we've got problems immediately to our north within part of Indonesia, Malaysia and the Philippines. So the Americans are saying, well, we're going to move on from that. It's not going to be our job to fight that. Local countries will need to find their own way. So the French, for example, have been working with the Francophone West African countries to trying to deal with some of these Islamic terrorist groups. So the Americans are saying we're now getting ready to deal with the next big challenge for us, which is not Islam, it's China. 
And so in a sense, all three countries have found a new way to come together uh, and to their own mutual benefit. It's been a really remarkable sort of lining up of the ducks in a row, if you like, that the Australians were looking for a new partner, particularly on submarines. The UK was looking for a new role and the Americans are looking for a new war. So it (laughs) it all fits together very neatly and so we've got this agreement. It's a very unusual position the Americans find themselves in as well, Keith, with no war all of a sudden. That's right. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about this surprise announcement. Uh, a new alliance, you know, it's an old alliance, but it's also new. We're building submarines with Americans and uh, and the UK Obviously, you know, we've identified that China is a big trading partner of ours, but the tensions have been pretty high for quite a while and they've been punishing us for having them looked into for the start of COVID and where the infection came from, the start of the pandemic, uh, and we supported global agencies in looking into China. They haven't liked that. Same issue with, with America, but we've also got so many other issues with China, Keith. So the South Pacific is a major one, Taiwan, even though we're not directly involved. We would support American stance on that and we're, we're not for China taking Taiwan, are we? No, not at all. Um, Taiwan is a flourishing democracy. Now, it was a fascist dictatorship, but it's now a flourishing democracy. So, yes, it's an interesting situation when you look at where, what China sees for itself in the world. When China looks out on the world, it sees itself surrounded by hostile countries. So um, obviously Japan has this residual hatred of the Chinese, which goes back centuries. And, of course, the Chinese and Japanese are still arguing about what happened in the 1930s with the Japanese brutality with their invasion. You've got the South Koreans who don't like China very much. Vietnam is is an old enemy. What struck me when I was in Vietnam during the war was that all the heroes in Vietnamese history are the people who beat the Chinese. You know, okay, they've got the French and the Americans more recently, but ah, they're temporary. The real problem is China. All the way back to the Trung sisters in AD 54, they were fighting Chinese aggression. So if you work your way around that area, then you get to Russia, and the Russians, of course, are anti-Chinese because they remember the Golden Horde that swept through Russia up through the rear end of, of Russia, if you like, through the Russian Empire and reached the European side of Russia and then went down into parts of, of what we would today call Eastern Europe. So that was from, um, what, 700 years ago, that Golden Horde. And one of my favourite examples of this is the story of the conversation between um, Premier Brezhnev and Mrs Thatcher, where at one point uh, Premier Brezhnev said to Mrs Thatcher, you must remember we Russians are the only people who stand between you and the Chinese. And he said it so forcefully that she was lost for words. And very rare for Mrs. Thatcher to be lost for words. (laughs) But it's a reminder that deep in that Russian memory is that fear of being overrun by the Asian hordes. And, of course, if you look at Russia today, it has declining population. The country is going to be empty in a couple of centuries' time. It's already very vulnerable still around its rear end. I've been in that rear end. I had a a Christmas at Habarovsk, which is the ultimate of white Christmases. You don't get to see any of the sunshine really until the spring. And so people prefer to live over on the European side, which is 10 time zones away, you know, in Russia, Leningrad, whatever we're calling it now, Petrograd, whatever. And so the Russians 
feel very vulnerable about that rear end and the risk that the Chinese, who are amassing in large numbers, could just walk right over the border and decided to settle. And, of course, what is interesting is that with um, the increase in climate change, the permafrost is melting. So if you die in the winter at Haberosk, you can't be buried until the spring. We've got to wait for the soil to melt that we can then put a spade in to bury you. So that is now beginning to melt because of the heat from climate change. So suddenly we may well see that area being suitable for cultivation. So if you're in China's point of view, you are surrounded by countries who don't like you. And the Russians are very fearful of you because they think you're going to come and take their land away from them. So it, it, it's interesting to look at the world from a Chinese point of view, which is what I, I try to do when I'm giving talks on this subject because, you know, we so often just look at the world from an American point of view and the Americans don't always get it right when they look out on the world. You know, when they marched into Afghanistan, they immediately assumed that everybody would be pro-American. Well, that's clearly not the case. After 20 years, $300 million per day for 20 years, they still didn't buy much loyalty amongst the population. Look at how quickly the regime collapsed in Kabul. Arrogance. Arrogance, exactly. So I think it is very useful to look at the world from other people's point of view. Uh, what Robert McNamara, uh, when he, at the end of his life, was reflecting on how badly he had done in Vietnam, he said, the problem for we Americans is that we lack empathy. We can't put ourselves in the shoes of other people. Because he said that if if what he now knows about or knew at, that, at the end of his life about the Vietnamese, he would have been an opponent of the United States because he would have known Vietnamese history, their nationalism rather than communism. It's their nationalism that motivated the country. And he just said we Americans didn't understand the Vietnamese mentality. You can say, of course, more recently, they haven't understood Afghanistan either. And my worry is, do they understand the Chinese mentality? I'm not sure they do. But then if you're applying that, and I understand so the Chinese feel a little bit threatened, they don't actually have a lot of good relationships, I wouldn't have thought either. Are they really people people? Are they relationship builders? Oh, very much so. Relationships are very important in China. Right. So so you, if you want to do a deal with the Chinese, you've got to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, partners and, and children and grandchildren, et cetera. So that's, oh, yeah, that's certainly very important. If we're looking at it from their perspective, what is their view on this South Pacific situation? Because no one can say that's fair, that they're trying to take over the South Pacific, especially well, I'm not sure the they area. are. You know, the Americans are saying they are because it's been the American lake for the last 70 years and the Americans are angry that the Chinese are moving in. The fact is that if you are really taking care of the South Pacific, you would have put in a lot more foreign aid, you would have helped those islands to develop, and therefore, there would be no scope for the Chinese to get involved. And quite often, being involved in countries can actually run against the Chinese. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Philippines, for example. Duterte is seen by some people in the Philippines as being too pro-Chinese. And in next year's presidential election, with the former boxer Manny Pacquiao running, he's running on an anti-China ticket saying Duterte is too friendly with the Chinese. So we mustn't assume that these people are automatically so gullible that they don't realise the Chinese have got an agenda, but then the Americans have got an agenda, the Australians have. We all have an agenda. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And so I, my preference in always is to try to understand what goes on 
in the other person's point of view. And I think some of our intelligence agencies do that very well. You know, if I go back to uh, 20-odd years ago to Afghanistan, I was at a conference when an army officer said, look, we're walking into a trap in Afghanistan. Uh, He tried to advise the politicians, but they were unwilling to listen. So he said, I'm giving the information to you so that you can then use it in the media, which is what I've done for the last 20-odd years, saying we're going to walk into a trap and we're not going to win in Afghanistan. And, of course, now, 20 years later, we've been defeated in Afghanistan and I'm now much more... I still... I can't remember the name of the officer who gave me the information, but he was aware of the risks of going into Afghanistan. But you're dealing with politicians who have this particular vision of the future and they're not willing to listen to outside advice. They don't pay enough attention to history and the context of a situation. And they're just rushed along from one media headline to the next. And that's the fear that I've got with this uh, new AUKUS agreement from last week, that we're, we're being rushed headlong into a confrontation with China rather than trying to stand back and just trying to think, is there a better way of doing dealings with China? China still predominantly has what is called a brown water navy. In other words, it's short-range navy confined mostly to coastal protection. It's not a huge ocean-going blue water navy. That's obviously what the British are trying to develop. Now they want to get back into the Asia-Pacific region, and that's a blue water navy requirement. The Americans have already got an immense blue water navy. So the way that some of the people are saying, oh, well, the Chinese could easily beat the Americans, et cetera, I don't think that's the case. And I, and I think also the Chinese are not completely stupid. They would have seen the difficulty of trying to take over Afghanistan, and they would therefore be wary about invading Taiwan. And the Taiwanese themselves are on guard, but they're not overly fearful. I've been to Taiwan on a number of occasions, and they're not that overly fearful. They're not paranoid in the way that some of our own media commentators are paranoid. They're more worried about Taiwan than the Taiwanese are. So it seems to me that rather than just rushing headlong into these agreements, we should spend more time reflecting on what we're doing. More time for thinking, less time for headline grabbing. And just like to round this off, Keith, so, you know, we did this obviously to head China off, made this deal with America and the UK. That was our number one, really, when you analyse it, if you're being completely honest. (laughs) Um, Why? What is, what's our main issue with China? Because we're clearing the decks ready for action. The assumption is the Americans always need an enemy, right? So they lost the Soviet Union back in 1991. Luckily, they then found Islam. Um, Now they've found China, and that's what they're arming against now. And I'm just very worried that we're going to find ourselves sliding into yet more conflicts. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.